we think, where is God? And we shake our fist and we think, God has abandoned me. God has been silent. Mother Teresa, apparently in her mm-hmm. journals for like 50 years, the silence of God, it was a, a torment to her that she felt God was silent. And I go, yeah, that's not a story of the silence of God. I think that's the story of our heightened expectations of what we think it ought to look like, how God talks to us, right. how God communicates. When in fact, God is is just speechless with an extravagant tenderness that just says, wow, I don't have words. That's how much I love you. Mm. You're listening to Upside Down, a podcast on spirituality and culture. No topic is off limits. So join us for unscripted conversations on God's upside down kingdom. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 46 of Upside Down Podcast. Lindsay here. I am solo right now because in just a few minutes, you're going to get to listen to the episode that we've all been waiting for, which is Kayla interviewing one of our heroes, really, Father Greg Boyle of Homeboy Industries. We have been trying to get this interview to happen for at least a year, if not over a year. Um, And as you know, Father G is a fairly sought after speaker. So it took us a little while, but we're so excited about this interview. I cannot think of a person alive today that I have learned as much from um, in all aspects of my life. Even when I think about parenting my kids, Father G is one of those people that that has so much wisdom. It just transcends any kind of relationship that you might have. And you'll even hear in the interview, um, Father G and Kayla talk about her daughter, Eliza, and um, G can speak into that. And they talk about so many different things. And he just... He just really is an amazing person. So there's really not that much more that I can say because you just want to listen to G at this point, right? So I totally get that. I do want to say really quickly, though, if you haven't already rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, please go do that now because the more people who rate and review the podcast, the more Apple will show it to people when they're looking for podcasts. And we really, really want these kind of conversations to be in the earbuds of as many people people as possible. Also, our advertising budget is exactly $0. So if you enjoy this episode with G, which you're going to, please consider sharing it. Um, If you're on social media, share it there, share it in person, tell your mom about it, whatever way that you're comfortable sharing, please do. Um, We just need more people like G in our lives. Um, We need more words of compassion and standing in awe of how people carry their hard things instead of standing in judgment in the way that they carry them. So, um, or in what they have to carry. So please, please, please share this episode. Rate and review us on Apple. Yeah. We just, we just want more of these good conversations to be out there in the world. Um, and to counter the narrative that the media is so often feeding us, right? So without further ado, here is Kayla interviewing Father Greg Boyle. Friends, I'm sitting here in Des Moines, Iowa, in a little back corner room in a little church in Altoona, Iowa, 
with somebody I'm very excited to be with. It's Father Greg Boyle. Thank you so much for being with us, Father G. Happy to be here. Thanks. I'm thrilled. We um, just collectively have been a fan as as hosts and as listeners, and we have um, Tattoos on the Heart has been pivotal to so many of us. And so thank you so much for writing it and just sharing these stories and these parables really with us so we can learn more uh, just about the nature of God and who God is. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Uh, One of the main um, ideas that has been really pivotal for us as we've read your work and followed your work is your view on compassion. So I can't think of anything to jumpstart this conversation more, but to tell us uh, a little bit about your views on compassion and how maybe your time uh, with the homies have helped you understand a deeper sense of what compassion is. Uh, I think it's probably evolved over the years. You know, I think we have this notion where uh, how do we kind of walk in the shoes of another person and so you feel empathetic you feel sympathetic and you feel you know your heart is broken by the very thing that breaks the heart of God and so you try to understand you know what the person is suffering and you try to take that and share that and stand in solidarity with it but the root of it really is to to see as God sees to get underneath things to understand as God understands to align your heart with God to such an extent that that you can uh, enter into this exquisite mutuality with the other person. It's not, I'm going to um, save you, rescue you from your suffering, but that there's something about being in this together. So compassion is also an ability to inch closer to kinship you know so it's a way of standing in awe at what people have to carry especially those on the margins rather than standing in judgment at how they carry it and so the source of all that divides us is this undergirding belief that we don't belong to each other but the minute you can stand against forgetting that we belong then you can you then you enter into uh you step away create a distance with judgment and you enter more fully into a place of awe or as in the Acts of the Apostles they they talk about and awe came upon everyone so that's the sense of uh, compassion that uh, really ought to undergird how we proceed in the world and how we extend ourselves to the other that was one of my uh, questions was going to be, you talk a lot about standing in awe. What does that look like for you when you're standing in awe? Well, I, you know, I think we always have that kind of notion where somebody's in front of us and, you know, whatever it is, you know, I, I, I need $100 to finish off my rent. And I can look at this person, you know, this gang member, and I judgment says, well, I guess you don't know how to allocate your money. I guess you don't know how to budget. I guess you don't, uh, you know, do you really need this money? Mm-hmm. Are you going to use it for some other purpose? Um, are you pulling a fast one on me? Mm-hmm. Are you trying to pull the wool over my eyes? That's judgment. And awe says, I've never had to carry what you've had to carry. 
I've never had to worry about rent or I've never had to choose between feeding my kids or putting a roof over their heads. That's awe. And so it's the difference between he's pulling a fast one or he's going through a hard one, you know. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. those are the differences. And yep. so but we have to do battle with a lot of notions, you know, like nobody wants to be a fool, mm. you know, uh, they're taking advantage of me. I go, no, nobody can take advantage of me. If if I'm giving my advantage, how can somebody take my advantage? Yeah. So we're so terrified of, of being foolish mm. rather than uh, trying to enter in. This is difficult, and, and maybe I'm encountering this person on the worst day of his or her life. So then you enter into a whole other place. And then you're seeing as God sees. You're feeling as God sees. You're getting underneath to the place of understanding as God understands. Mm -hmm. And that's what you hope for. Right, right. We had a listener who sent in a question for you about how you avoid burnout. And now uh, Lindsay and I were talking about how we've heard you talk a little bit about your ideas of burnout and expectation and wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Well, I always tell our staff at Homeboy that it's perfectly fine to be exhausted. But if you're depleted, then you're doing it incorrectly. If you're depleted, it's about you. If the goal is to make a difference rather than have folks at the margins make you different, then it's about you. It's about saving the day. It's about rescuing people. And so I think we got this kind of wrong. You know, we'll talk about um, compassion fatigue and that kind of notion that, oh, my God, the work is so hard, and I need to be careful about my own self-care. And I don't know. I don't have much patience with that because <laughs> I think it's all about you if that's what your concern yes, is. Yes, yeah. So the minute you stop wanting to save people and come to the rescue, you, you won't ever have an issue with depletion, which is burnout. Burnout is depletion. Exhaustion is just you've worked hard and good for you right 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 but if it's sapped energy from you like a like a car battery where you plugged it in wrong mm -hmm. and all of a sudden uh oh it's sapping energy rather than replenishing then you know it's about you the more you can keep it not about you and then you do what you can and you love being loving and you delight in the person in front of you and you stay anchored in the present moment then then burnout can't happen. But we think it's about this pattern of kill yourself mm. in the work and go take time for self-care and then come back again. And then the other thing is people always say to me, oh, my God, you know, what's it like and how do you do it? Like it's hard. And... Living the gospel is not supposed to be hard. Mm. It's not supposed to be a grim duty. Somebody's got to do it, and I might as well. And you know, I may not. That's so refreshing because I feel my husband's a pastor, and I feel like there's this idea that is told a lot to us. Like, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. And to hear somebody say it's not supposed to be hard, it's almost permission to have joy in the that's Lord. Right. That's right. You know, part of the thing, too, is... 
the poet William Carlos Williams, who, who was writing about poetry, he said, if it ain't a pleasure, it ain't a poem. And the same is true of, of living the gospel. That otherwise, you know, if you can distill what God wants you to do and what Jesus is inviting you to, it's my joy yours, your joy complete. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. You know, and so we get, we kind of get, in terms of, even in terms of the crucifixion, you know, in terms of the passion and the suffering, you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that what we're mainly invited to is joy mm. in the present moment. We're healed. We're saved in the present moment. Don't don't be anywhere else. Stay in the living room, which is the present moment. Mm. But we lament what happened yesterday, which is to say the bathroom, <laughs> or we are anxious about tomorrow, which is to say the kitchen. But we're being invited to to stay in the living room where life is happening, and uh, and it's a joy if you have the right lenses on. When you say that, I think of my physical living room. I have a daughter that has significant special needs, and we spend most of our time together in the living room. She is um, she's two, almost three. She's not mobile. Uh, she has Down syndrome and epilepsy, and. I have been reflecting so much about how she keeps me in the present and I have a propensity that I'm sure (laughs) many people do to start going into the future and getting really anxious and um, really worried and what will come right and what I don't know and and yeah just what will come I don't I don't have any idea and I've read uh, some of your meditations on prayer and petitionary prayer and would love to hear you um, share kind of what you've learned and how you've changed your ideas on prayer and especially as I think about my daughter sometimes I just I don't even know what to pray or what I should pray and am I praying the right thing (laughs) yeah so I would love to just hear you share a little bit about prayer I think mature spirituality gets to a place where it's anchored in tenderness in the present moment, and, and, and thereby you receive the tender glance of God and you choose to be the tender glance of God in the present moment. I feel that God protects me from absolutely nothing and sustains me in absolutely everything. So then it becomes about sustenance rather than you know, when you're in the fifth grade, please help me pass the math right. test. <laughs> I, I didn't study. I will grant you that. But please make me pass it anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and then afterwards, people do have this thing. Wow, I failed the math test. Thank you, God. You right, know, right. Thank you for, for not being there when I needed you the most. Uh, some woman who was running for some, something and she was in a serious car accident and... and uh, Somebody said, well, how do you explain this miraculous recovery? And she said, God. And I, you know, uh, I go, no, because if that's true, that had she died, then what do you say? Right. And, or, or there was the fire in, in Athens. They asked a, a guy, you know, why, were your, why was your life spared? And somebody else's life was lost, you know, like 800 people or something. Yeah. And he said, God. And I go, no, because then you have to believe that these lives were taken because of God and that it's somehow that's how God operates. 
And so we pray to change God's mind. Right. Rather than pray to change my mind and and somehow be anchored in the sustenance of of who God is, you know. And so, I mean, why wouldn't our way of praying today at our age, why wouldn't it be different right. than when we were in the third grade when we didn't know any better? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and you could have a good argument about how should we communicate to children about mm-hmm. life and the Ten Commandments and God that doesn't saddle them with this notion that they have to undo. Right. You know, so when people say, well, I've lost my faith, I go, congratulations. <laughs> Isn't that what's supposed to happen? Yeah. I mean, because when I was in the third grade, I, I believed all sorts of crazy things about God. Absolutely. And I don't anymore, and I lost that. And that's a good thing. Mm. And so if you're open to sitting in the living room with your precious yeah. daughter yeah. and and she's communicating to you all the things that matter right and all the things that matter to god and you go wow what an amazing gift yeah it is what a gift to have her there pointing the way you know amen yeah and and though you will make a difference in her life and you're a beneficial gracious presence to her but she is making you different Absolutely. Because you're allowing yourself to be reached by her vulnerability. And then suddenly you're you're suddenly there's God so quickly. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely right. So <laughs> you stirred right into my heart and yeah. given it words. So thank you for that. Uh my co host Lindsay raved about an op ed you wrote in the LA Times and she said you told a story about Mario. Could you tell that story? Oh, gosh. I, it's too long a story. I don't tell stories on, on radio interviews because they're too long and they're shaggy dog stories and it'll take up the whole time. But it's, I, I invite you to read Barking yes. to the Choir. It's in The story is in there. Yes. And they, the LA Times cut that story up so badly. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it was just like, no. Mm. So I, I, but Mario still works there, heavily tattooed, tender soul. I'll yeah. just say that he's proof that only the soul that ventilates the world with tenderness, tenderness has any chance of changing the world. And so, mm. um, but uh, I invite you to purchase a book. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <Sure. laughs> Those journalists, I'm, I'm a former journalist. And yeah. Yeah, it can be tricky. Yeah. Op-ed people are trying to. Co-op sometimes. Yeah, shorten, shorten, and you go, no, now you've cut the guts out of it. So anyway. Well, here's your chance to (laughs) read the book. So we had a listener question that was repeated a few times, so I want to make sure I asked, and it was, what daily life practice or discipline can you not go without? Well, I I get up impossibly early, like 3 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 3.30 which is really crazy. So if I can, most evenings it's past my bedtime if I'm giving a talk at night, like tonight. (laughs) So, so I just love solitude. I'm kind of an introvert. So, Mm. um, I don't have, I'm never freaked by solitude. I love it. I kind of, um, seek it. And yet, you know, it's odd because kinship is about connection and, Joining yourself to other people. It's hard for introverts. I mean, I can get up in front of 10,000 people and I can speak 
would put me in a cocktail hour mm. chit chatting. I it just uh, I'm hard. That's hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but praying and kind of being silent and resting, as I say, in the stillness of love, and then loving in the stillness of God. So kind of leaving from that place. So again, it's it's not about marching orders. You know, I, I had a couple of people today even say, you know, God put it on my heart to do this, or God was telling me to do that. And and that's our heightened expectation of how this is to work. Mm. Where, as I, I was saying earlier today in the talk, that that people will lament the silence of God. And they'll kind of go, you know, with friends like this, you know, you know, God who doesn't speak to me. Mm. And he's silent and not giving me any clues. And, and, and yet I would say that's, that's a fault of our own interpretation and expectation. Right. That somehow God communicates in the way that we do, you know, with marching orders, laundry list, please do X, Y, and Z. You need to measure up to, you know, A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. So, and yet, what if the silence isn't silence at all? What if it's, what if God's speechless in the face of you? You know, how delighted God is in you and how, behold the one beholding you and smiling. God is not silent, but speechless. Mm. And and we don't just imitate, we don't just um, create God in our own image. We create God's response in our own image. So we think it should look like this. And when it doesn't, we think, where is God? And we shake our fist and we think, God has abandoned me. God has been silent. Mother Teresa, apparently in her mm. journals for like 50 years, the silence of God, it was a, a torment to her that she felt God was silent. And mm. I go, yeah, that's not a story of the silence of God. I think that's the story of our heightened expectations of what we think it ought to look like, how God talks to us, right. how God communicates. When in fact, God is is just speechless with an extravagant tenderness that just says, wow, I don't have words. That's how much I love you. Mm. You don't have to, I'm going to come back to your daughters. You don't have to constantly tell your daughter stuff. You're, you're speechless in the right. face of, of her beauty and her gift and her, her giving to you. Mm-hmm. You're speechless. Speechless is, we always want to fill in the silence. You know, fill in the silence. Or... We're presuming about the silence. God is silent. Oh, God is disappointed. I haven't measured up. I'm less than. I could be doing more. I'm finding this easy. It should be hard. You know, all those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. When, whoa, slow down. God is just speechless in the face of your goodness. Mm. And loving you into seeing things as God does. Because the minute you do, then it alters everything. Suddenly, you become the notice of God in the world. Mm. You become the tender glance. Mm. And and that's that's God's dream come true. Do you find that it's hard for people to unlearn these ideas of God and maybe this idea that we're 
we're rotten and sinful right right from the start and there's no goodness in us and then every bad decision we make you know we talk a lot about shame how does that incorporate into unlearning our views of god that might be warped well you know i say i'm not going to tell a story but i would give a talk <laughs> and there was this kid in the front row um diego was his name i found out later he's 10 years old and it was a room full of adults, and he was the only kid. Throughout the whole talk, he was laughing, howling at anything I said that was funny. He was slack-jawed at anything that was serious. Mm-hmm. And at the end, when I told this heartbreaking story, the, the adults are discreetly flicking tears. He's wailing. Mm-hmm. He's just sobbing. And I'm kind of out-of-body experience. I'm watching him. And then I watch his mother very slowly she just slowly puts her arm mm-hmm. around his shoulder. And as soon as she makes contact, he turns to his mother and he says, what? You know? <laughs> and it, it, was a, it stopped the whole show. I stopped speaking. Everybody in the room looks at him. And he kind of demurs a little, but not that much. And he looks at her, what? Mm-hmm. And I knew exactly what he was saying. How am I embarrassing you? How am I, Mm. what have I done wrong? How am I not measuring up? It was all about him being a bad person. Mm. That was his presumption. But it was so clear to me what she was doing. What breaks your heart, my son, Diego, breaks my heart too. Mm. And this other thing, how did I get so lucky to have you as a son? Mm. To me, those were the two clear things. But what do we think? We think, what? How am I letting you down, God? Hmm. What could I do more? How am I not measuring up? How have I disappointed you today? And the key there is this mother didn't want anything from her kid. She only wanted for her kid. And that's in our hardwiring. That's hard. That's our DNA. Hmm. And and we, it's hard to get around that. But the first step is to see the God we actually have doesn't want from us, hmm. only wants for us. And I, I gave I said that in a talk once in New York, and a pastor, old pastor came up to me and he goes, I loved your talk. It was a series of talks. I only disagreed with one thing. <laughs> I said, what was that? That whole part about God doesn't want anything from us, hmm. only for us. He goes, I mean, what about the Ten Commandments? And I don't know what to say to that, except (laughs) what about them? Right. You know? And so, but that's kind of where you're stuck. The guy was probably in his 70s. And not to judge this. However, you can get to a place where that's ingrained. God wants us to do good and avoid evil. God wants us to cross our T's, dot our I's, follow the rules, God wants all these things from us. What if our God only wants for us? Even as we're invited to go to the margins, it's not because it's the harder thing. God knows that's the place where joy is to be found. Mm. That's why we're being invited there, because it's still for us. It's right. not He's not wanting something from us. Mm. Sacrifice. The harder thing is the better thing. 
go out there, this is a grim duty, but embrace it. No, God wants something for us. And so then it's a game changer. Yeah. Then you go, wow, that is a better God than the one I had. It's a better God. Mm-hmm. And God is always wanting you to find the better God than the one we have. Mm. The more spacious, the more expansive, the more accepting, the more loving. Right. And yet we can go, what about the Ten Commandments? <laughs> you know, and you go, yeah, what about them? Yeah. You know, <laughs> because, and you could, again, you could argue about how you communicate to kids. Mm. So you kind of go, are the Ten Commandments necessary? Because if, if you know the God we actually have, right. does anybody need to, to tell you the Ten Commandments? Right. No, because, then, because you know the God we have. And it's more expansive and spacious than even the Ten Commandments. Right. Because Jesus changed everything. Yeah, you're I no mean, longer saddled with do yeah. this and don't do that. Yeah. It's, it's larger than that. So anyway. That's, yeah, that's a lot, a lot to think about. You mentioned, you know, going into the margins, and I want to make sure we talked a little bit uh, about that. Our co-host, Lindsay, she she actually had the privilege of spending some time with you a couple years ago. I think you guys may have even had margaritas. She, oh, right? she and her husband um, live in Miami, but I don't think you, you were in Miami at the time. She'll, she'll I wouldn't be. have had a margarita yeah. in Miami. <laughs> so she must have she'd been a I part think, of something. I think they usually come to your... Oh, so she was part of... Uh, she works part with of Interchange. Interchange, in, yeah. yeah. So Nate Bacon. And, I think so, yeah. yeah. That was it, Sure. Yeah. Because we all went to go down to the watering hole to uh, El Paseo, which is where they serve these things called megas. Wow. <laughs> and they see me walk in the door and the bartender goes, how many do you want? I go, we'll, we'll get four, four megas. <laughs> and they're kind of made specially. And they're uh, quite uh, d- delicious. So, yes, so she was yeah. part of that group. So I've done that many times. With, oh, that's great. With Nate and Jenny and then yeah, and yeah. all these other people. And she she's working kind of um, living among the poor and just Where being part. They're in Miami. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they have, uh, they have five kids. But anyway, she had a question that um, she had a message for me to give to you <laughs> and share and get your perspective. Mm-hmm. So she said, you've talked a lot about this exquisite privilege we have the opportunity for to be able to stand with the easily despised and the readily left out with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop and with the disposable so the day will come when we stop throwing people away. Is there anything, you know, a story or just um, a tidbit to share that could paint what you mean by exquisite privilege? Well, so the, the the higher aerial view is is the original covenantal relationship. So God says, "As I have loved you, now you fill in the blank, and you'll say, the God created in my image would say, as I have loved you, love me back.' Hmm. But that's not what it says. Right. It says, as I have loved you, so must you have a special preferential care and love for the widow, orphan, and the stranger, and that's because God." thinks these are the people who know what it's like to have been cut off. And because they've suffered in this exact way, God thinks that they are trustworthy guides to lead the rest of us to the upside-down kingdom of God. Yes. So, so that's, now that turns the whole thing on its head. 
because here we thought we were supposed to go to the margins to rescue, save, and make a difference in the lives of those on the margins. But no, we're being invited to the margins so that we are made different, so that we can follow our trustworthy guides, you know, who want to lead us to a more generous heart and uh, a more open and tender heart. So I have a thousand stories. (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) Let me refer you to a book. (laughs) Buy the damn book. (laughs) For me, I have to tell stories in front of a big old, uh, I broke down and told you one already, but in front of a whole room of people. But because it's a give and take, you know. But so that's the idea. And, you know, so, and I can remember a woman coming in, she wanted to volunteer at Homeboy. And and we have 300 volunteers who do a variety of things, tutors and whatever. And she was very insistent, I have to volunteer at Homeboy Industries. I said, (laughs) why do you have to volunteer at Homeboy (laughs) Industries? I believe I have a message these young people need to hear. I went, yikes. (laughs) I said, do me a favor. The minute you lose the message, I hope you come back to us. Because I don't want your damn message, you know. You know, because, and people will say, I want to volunteer here. I go, okay. And then they'll ask, well, what am I going to do here? I said, no, wrong question. What's going to happen to you here? Hmm. And as soon as you turn that on its head, it feels passive. It feels like, aren't I supposed to come here and be of service? But service is the hallway that gets you to the ballroom. Kinship is the ballroom. So don't stay in the hallway. You know, mm. begin with service. That's fine. That's, that's sure. kind of where we all begin. And, and even kids, high school kids, just about any kind of high school has a service learning component or, you know, now go work in the soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing because then they get out of themselves and they, they feel um, that's where you begin. But you don't want to end there. You want to end with the privilege of exquisite mutuality where there is no us and them, and you've obliterated the illusion that we're separate. So Mm -hmm. there's no distance or daylight at all. You know, Mm -hmm. I am the service provider. You, lowly person over there, are the service recipient. So at Homeboy, I'm not the great healer, and that gang member is in dire need of my exquisite healing. Right. We're all a cry for help. We're all in need of healing. And that's one of the great beauties of the things that connect us as members of the human family. Yeah. That was another question we had is, what is something you used to believe about the human race that you no longer do? Oh, well, I probably would draw lines like anybody would, that they're good guys and bad guys. And I don't believe in it. I don't believe in evil. I don't believe in evil evil people. Hmm. I, I think that's an unsophisticated take and people can give me a lineup of oh yeah what about him and what about her and I go you know now I'm too old and I've and I've worked with gang members for 32 years and have met many people have killed many people and I've yet to meet an evil person I've met despondent people I've met traumatized people I've met mentally ill people but I've never met a bad guy never and so we all had that notion White hats and black hats, and these are the Absolutely. good guys, and these yeah. are the bad guys. I catch my, I have two sons, and they're eight and five, and I catch them, like, 
we're going to get the bad guy. I'm the yeah. good guy. And I, I'm trying to reframe, but it's hard. You want to play whatever. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. They're just running around in the backyard. And I'm like, no, that person was making some decisions that we might consider <laughs> bad. <laughs> That's right. What language is that behavior speaking? Exactly. <laughs> Think about it, boys. <laughs> Yep. But see, that's how we do it. I mean, it, you know, it's it's funny in law enforcement, and, and we, we kind of try to focus on things like racism or whatever. Th- these are good issues, but they're always about something else. And so, you know, yeah. I don't think, I think it's less about race and less about class. It has to do with who belongs to us and who doesn't belong to us. Are you a good guy or a bad guy? You ask any cop in the country. Not to read the motto on the side of the car as the the statement of their mission to protect and serve or whatever it is. Because I've been around this for so long. And cops will say, trying to explain it to reporters or whoever, look, here's our job. Get the bad guy. And yet that's a complete aberration, really, of kind of uh, as human beings. The minute you know that there are no bad guys, that's a liberation. Hmm. Suddenly it's not, oh, this guy's resisting arrest. Oh, he's a bad guy. No, you've encountered somebody on the worst day of his life. Or you've encountered somebody who is deeply, profoundly mentally ill. Or you've encountered somebody who's so despondent that he has ceased to care whether you kill him or not, really. And so what would happen if we knew there were no bad guys? Hmm. And 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 how that translates is everyone belongs to us. There's You imagine a circle of compassion and you imagine not a single person standing standing outside that circle. And that's what we're meant to, to know and see. Yeah. Well, what are you reading or listening to right now? Is there any media that you are consuming in form of book or TV or things that you're listening to? Um, I always have nine books at any given time. <laughs> oh, so you're I'm, so, you're our kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, so I'm reading. So I'm reading. Uh, Why does Buddhism matter? That's a bestseller. I'm reading that. That's with me here. I read. Um, you know, every day I read Richard Rohr's meditations that come up by way of emails. Mm-hmm. I listen to podcasts like Jack Cornfield, who's kind of a teacher and a friend of mine. Um. Just different things. Like right now, I'm reading books on tenderness. Uh, and there are a variety of them. I, I'm reading books about uh, mass incarceration, the criminal justice system. Mm. Trying to formulate kind of an opinion on this stuff. Um, I'm reading uh, a lot of things about, uh, you know, neuroplasticity i've had about two books about how how trauma impacts the brain yep. and how nurture can really yeah. bring things back can actually alter uh, you know brain it's fascinating yeah, it's it is fascinating. fascinating Lindsay and i both have adopted children um who have come out of trauma yeah. you know all adoption in some ways is trauma and the more we've learned about the brain that the more there is to learn, I think it's yeah, incredible. But, you know, it's um, just on the plane coming here, I guess. I've been on a lot of planes, but 
there's a documentary called something, Three Identical Strangers. Have you heard about that? I have heard about yeah. it. I haven't watched but it, it. It ends because they're all adopted and they were all in different, raised by different oh. families. And an interesting kind of comment on mental health and such. Mm. But, you know, nurture or nature. And then, you you know, people, in, they all kind of inherited, you know, schizophrenia from their parents. I mean, it's a complicated story. Mm-hmm. But in the end, the, it's the triumph of nurture. Hmm. It's, it's the triumph of loving, caring adults who pay attention. Absolutely. Can absolutely... All, it doesn't mean that mental illness isn't real. It doesn't mean you don't have to elevate your moods and, and sometimes be mindful of meds or whatever, or therapy or work through your, excavate your wounds. But it was, it's, in the end, it's a very hopeful story. It is a complicated, really odd story. And yet it's about the power of, I would call, tenderness to return people to their true selves in loving and and that they become thriving and flourishing and nurture did that mm. against all odds where these adopted boys triplets who were raised kind of as some insidious experiment actually mm. separated from each other so that somebody could study what was it like wow. to be raised by different families and and they picked the families you know, in terms of class and education, and oh. it was—it's weird. Part yeah. of it is, is really c- quite uncomfortable. Yeah, that is. And and then they discover that all these uh, um, twins, mainly, were uh, who were adopted through this one agency and part of a a long research project wow. where they kind of used them as guinea oh. pigs. Yeah. Wow. And yet, in the end, it's I it as I say it it sort of feels like. The power of, and we find this at Homeboy, mm. that that uh, nothing is forever. That the damage that's done, as long as you can kind of go, the only way through pain is through pain. And if, if, if they can do that in a place where they're being held in a community of tenderness, they come out the other side with neurons altered. And they're suddenly resilient in a way they never were before. Hmm. And then there's this guarantee that they'll never go back to prison because they've re-identified who they are. They've come to terms with what was done to them, unspeakable things. They've come to terms with what they've done. Hmm. And and they've come out the other side, and now the world will throw at them what it will. Mm-hmm. But this time they won't be toppled by it. So it's a hmm. different thing. So anyway... Yeah, but it's it's fascinating thing, especially yeah. having adopted kids. Right. It's, yeah, it is. It's uh, it's a challenge, you know. And mm-hmm. then, and in Corinthians, it says, "Love never fails," and that's kind of the message: is that in the end, this is the most powerful thing there is. No, right. Nothing more powerful. Not not genetics. Not what you've inherited. Love never fails. Period. Amen. Amen to that. Well, this is the last question I have for you. It's a question I asked one of the founders of Preemptive Love Coalition, and they do peacemaking work in Iraq and Syria. And I asked her, what do you see in your community that you wish others could see? And I want to ask you that same question. I wanted to hear what her answer was. (laughs) It was a good one. (laughs) I'll have to look it up. Yeah. You know, it's... um, it's funny about peacemaking because people will criticize me. I'll, I'll I'll say we work with gangs, but we don't work 
we work with gang members, but we don't work with gangs mm. because it's not the Middle East and it's not Northern Ireland. And, and gang violence is about something else. So there aren't demands that you would bring gangs together to kind of say, well, let's work it out. Let's. So I'm old-fashioned that way. I think peacemaking re- requires conflict, and there's no conflict in gang violence, which is, uh, I think, an important insight because mm-hmm. then you go, oh, this is about something else. This mm-hmm. is about how do we infuse hope to kids for whom hope is foreign? Hmm. How do we help heal damaged, traumatized folks? How do we deliver mental health services in a timely and culturally appropriate way? That's what it's about. Right. So, so um, anyway, that that's kind of what I think because then it's, we always think that we're addressing something head on when we, well, let's address this issue head on. You sit here and you sit here and let's work it out. But it doesn't <laughs> mean that there aren't conflicts sometimes that need to be worked out in that way. But it also acknowledges that there are conflicts that aren't. They're, they're a language. And once you, once you ask yourself, what is this language speaking? So we could bring a, a, you know, a five-year-old boy in here and say, wait here, I'll be right back. And while you were gone, he, you know, smeared his feces all over the walls and destroyed the room. Nobody on the human planet, no matter how educated, would want to banish, punish this kid. (laughs) Everyone, no matter how advanced you ever went in schooling, everyone would go, wow, what was that about? What does this mean? Right. What is this kid telling us? And I think things are more like that than not, you know, where you want to get under. So then it's not about judgment and punishment and banishment. It's about understanding and knowing that behavior like that is about pain. Hmm. And how can we alleviate it? How can we bring rest to your own chronic toxic stress? How can we help be a part of the inhabiting of your own nobility and dignity and the alleviating of this a great struggle and hardship. So I'm sure that hasn't answered your question. But <laughs> that's all I know to say. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank I you, mean, Kayla. thank you doesn't sound big enough, yeah. but we well, appreciate you, it. Great. Thank you for being sure. here today. Pleasure.